Quran says, God will bring the people whom he loves and who love him. As Kushairi explains, the truth, glory to him, may be described as loving the servant, and the servant may be described as loving the truth. I would like once more to dedicate this, this talk. I was already speaking about love somewhere else, and I did the same, but since we are remembering our friend Leila, I would like to remember her once more, and to say that I consider her to be one of the um, beloved lovers. She taught me a lot, and, uh, well, let's keep her in mind. What is love? What is service? In what would service of love consist? These are the first questions to title, the title of this gathering brings for us to respond. In the first part of this talk, I'm going primarily to deal with the Arabic term hub, original primordial love, and its relationship with the notion of ibadah, service, adoration, connected to the idea of servanthood, or buddhiya. First of all, I'm going to read the translation of a very short chapter on love from the book of instruction by the allusions of the inspired ones, or literally um, the folk of inspiration, if you prefer. Then I'll present some personal reflections, personal in the sense that they are not literal quotations of the, of the sheikh, although are all trying to be inspired by him, on few scriptural bases for the Akbarian discourse on love as hub and its connection to knowledge. The second part of the paper will offer a complete translation of two different commentaries by the sheikh on the divine name Al-Wadud, the constant in love. The first short one from Kashf al-Ma'ana, and the second, a longer section, from the chapter on the names in Futuhat Makkiya. This will be followed by some final reflections on the meaning of the technical term Manassa, as in the expression Manassa al-Haq. In the following text, all the seven sentences were said, as Ibn Arabi let us know at the end of his book, in the presence of the Sheikh himself. The question here is that often Ibn Arabi uses the expression one of the Gnostics to refer to himself when he does not want the name, his name uh, 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 to appear explicitly. In the case of some of these sentences, I think he was himself the one who said them. But uh, anyway, the speaker remained anonymous. Apparently, there is a sample succession of sentences on the matter of love, if not be liked it and wrote down. Uh, but I think the order of the sentences is very intentional and significant. The first one, as you will see, is a negation of the validity of love, quite a way to start a talk on not by love. Um, and the next is a radical affirmation of its universal character. This reminds us, in fact, of the structure of the Shahada. Later on, another sentence question, and doing so denies, in a sense, the possibility of denying love. After the clear affirmation of love as the cause of all manifestation, one more sentence denies the validity of any negation of love, origin of all movement and speech. Finally, the irresistible authority of love is compared to that of a king. From the negation of his validity at the beginning, since nothing can possibly validate love except love itself, 
to the metaphor of the king, the one who legitimates, there is a kind of circular progression. The perspective of the speaker changes, so the meaning of love is seen from a new complementary angle, from different stations that finally come together into the one single encompassing meaning. Let us read the sentences I translated uh, together with our friend Eva here present with us. One of the Gnostics said, love has no validity. In Arabic, so that you may help me in possibly finding a better translation, al-hubbu la yasihu. Maybe it should be translated, love cannot be verified. Uh, Afifi says, commenting on Ibn Arabi's words, uh, that love has not intrinsic value, the basis and the cause of love being beauty. So maybe there is a connection. Anyway, the sentence appears just like that. Love has no validity. Another said, there is not but love. Another said, love is an extrinsic attribute, not intrinsic. Or let's translate, love is a quality of relation, not an essential quality. Another said, Love is a divine secret which is conferred upon every essence that, according to what is appropriate for it. Another said, How can one deny love when there is not by love in existence, and were it not for love, it would not have manifested? For everything has manifested from love and through love, and love permeates existence and sustains its movements. Another said, It is not valid to deny love, since by love the mover moves, and by it the mobile is moved, and the motionless remains so. By love the speaker speaks, and the silent remains silent. Let me comment on this sentence that in Arabic the term used for bowling, haraka, also means literally movement. And the word for quiescence, sukun, the absence of bowel, means being at rest. Thus in the Arabic text there is an implicit allusion to bowling in the use of the terms mover, muharrik, as, as haraka, and move from the root of haraka, as I say, as well as an allusion to quiescence in the use of silent, sakin, like sukun. So this is to show that through this relation of the roots, when he speaks of the, when he uses these peripatetic concepts of the mover and the mobile, in fact, he is also referring to, to the language as an agrarian concept. Another said, and that's the last sentence, Love is a king to whose, to whose authority all things conform, or let's translate, whose authority is irresistible. Now, in our days, false expectations, cult of personality and the quantitative aspect of things, commercialization of ideas and confusion among the different orders, degrees and forms of love frequently generates a certain degree of frustration and obsession in the realm of what Ibn Arabi calls human love. Fixation with a particular object of love 
If it does not come with a deep consciousness of the essentially transcendent nature of love, may easily derive in alienation. To discuss today about love in Ibn Arabi's works may, I believe, enlighten us in this respect. Many people are indeed not conscious of the divine trick and they are identified with the particular objects of their beliefs and the particular forms love adopts for them. By perceiving those objects only as separated creatures, they remain blind in relation to their essential condition as places of the real self-disclosure. That is the immediate path, path to delusion and happiness and disgrace, since the source of all grace is the loving manifestation and recognition of the truth, the receptivity towards the ever-present presence of mercy and beauty, offered to us as a present in the presence chamber of our hearts. There is not by love. As it is understood from the hadith of the hidden treasure, since original love, hope, is the cause of all manifestation in the cosmos and in ourselves, our knowledge of creation and the creator is our knowledge of love. To know the essence of things is to realize that they are sheer, sheer love. Our knowledge of the Creator being the finality, the purpose of creation, corresponds to his love, his will, his desire to be known, thus to say, to know himself. Love, origin of manifestation, divine desire to be known, is thus necessarily connected to the human function of knowing, the fundamental, actual function of human being. Letting know or knowing are both expressions of divine love, the two parts of the circle of existence and actualization of knowledge, the two movements of ascent and descent, manifestation in multiplicity and reintegration into unity. We know because of his love, Realizing the condition of knowing of the truth is the, save, the service of love par excellence. Is there any kind of love without knowledge? To love something implies to know it, and to know it, to know its essence and its real meaning, implies to love it. From this perspective, the highest degree of human realization is the actualization of sheer servanthood, complete receptivity towards manifestation as expression of divine love and permanent actualization of the divine act of knowing in the heart, realizing the mystery of unity that plunges the servant into the station of perplexity. He is the human ismus, the barsakh or intermediary reality that unites all opposites in the realm of all encompassing mercy. This movement of loving descent towards multiplicity corresponds thus to the ascent of knowledge towards unity. Human knowledge appears as the constantly renewed journey of returning into oneness through love. It is a way of return without way back. On the other hand, knowing appears to be a pure matter of love. Love uniting all dimensions of perception, imagination, inspiration, and veiling. Love to God and his creation as a movement into unity, as the satisfied perception of oneness in all existing things. 
love as, as the radiance and self-disclosure of his names, al-Muhib, al-Wadub, in the hearts of his beloved servants. Original divine love has the general condition of the mercy of the all-compassionate, since all is created out of it and all manifestation is needed for the verifier to know and love him. Particular divine love has on the other hand the condition of the specialized mercy bestowed upon the verifiers of love, a people whom he loves and who love him. Love can be understood as awareness of the fact that all manifested things come from a single essence. This makes this play joyful and lead, leads us to felicity if we, are, if we fully accept love our very nature and essential being, and conform to it. Ultimately, there is no other possibility than loving the real, that is, serving or adoring him in the forms of our beliefs and beyond any form. We can understand the verse that Ibn Arabi quotes so often, your Lord has decreed that you shall adore none but him, as a decree of necessary love. To love, service of love, consists thus on being conscious of the fact that there is not but love in every place of manifestation. This would not mean that we cannot continue playing our corresponding roles in the realm of diversity, following the rules of the divine game of creation. To play seems to be the very condition of the loving Varsach. An aspect of his mercy, a necessary expression of his love, is precise, precisely his makr, his divine trickery. He is the best of trickers, according to the Quran. Sorry, tricksters seem to be a, a better word in English. <coughs> he is the best of tricksters, um, somehow, to actualize the divine love in harmony the servant has to play his Barsahi role of follow, uh, following the divine rules and paying attention to his stratagems to trick us. Love may be seen as a tricky game. Human being as a Barsahi lover has to be and not to be. That's a real question. <laughs> <laughs> to do and not to do. To know being unable to know and not to know being the place of knowing. Loving and not loving, thus the intermediary position of the perfected human being uniting the contraries, being active and passive, manifest and hidden, speaking and silent. Like attracts like. God loves his resemblance in the theomorphic human form, and through love he becomes the eye of his loving servant. So God knows himself with the eye pupil of human being, and knowing himself is the theosis of the servant and the culmination of the aim of creation, the highest and comparable degree of love mirroring love, love annihilated in love, subsistent, subsisting in endless love. From a wide perspective, to conform to whatever may guide us as human beings to this perfect disposition, so that we might become eye pupils of the all-seeing beloved, may be considered service of love. I'm sorry for the grammar, nobody was correcting my text. So <laughs> there is not but love. Nevertheless, since this originating love, matter and support of all manifestation, cause of every relation, is ever present, and precisely because 
of this universal permeating presence, it remains hidden, unseen. Like the fish who does not perceive the water, we do not perceive eternal universe and divine love until we die in our longing for the unseen. Ultimately, on the contrary, love is the only relation we can experience. Anyway, we can experience degrees of love and have a taste of it, but we cannot fully love until we are annihilated in oneness. Real love demands pure servanthood, the consciousness of being a pure receptacle of his loving grace. As the well-known hadith states, God is beautiful and loves beauty. Or we can translate as afifido is somewhere and he loves the beautiful. This intrinsic divine beauty is the foundation, the root of God's love to himself and the cause of his desire for being known through the manifestation of the light and possible things. Since all existence is ultimately shared beauty, to know something is to realize its beauty, the beauty of the real manifested through it. Thus, to love it. As Ibn Arabi says, we love God because God is beautiful, and he loves us and all his creation because he loves the beautiful. So the actualization of love, any type of love, depends on our perception of beauty. Unless we recognize that everything is ultimately, essentially beautiful, we cannot manifest universal love. As we saw, love is, in a metaphysical sense, the relationship established between the one who actualizes knowledge and what appears as the object of knowledge. Let's remember the famous saying, famous hadith, Man arafa nafsahu arafa rabbahu. The one who knows his Lord knows himself. We may comment, whomsoever truly love himself, not the delusion of his lower self, but his real self, love his love, sorry, love his Lord. The one who actualizes his own beauty contemplates the beauty of his Lord, loving him, becoming the eye pupil by which he sees his own beauty, the place of manifestation of his name al-Muhib, is being loved by him, so that he becomes the eye by which the servant sees, according to the hadith we already mentioned of the supererogatory works. Considering the mirroring imagery of the human lover as non-existent reflection and the beloved as the real contemplating his self-disclosure on the mirror of creation, we can think of a compelling comparison, necessarily selective, of Ibn Arabi's metaphysical understanding of divine love, as we are dealing mainly with a metaphysical approach, with the myth of Narcissus. Any form of love is rooted, according to Ibn Arabi, on the universal principle of self-love or the necessary love to oneself that all existent things uh, experience. If we do not come to know and love the beauty of our own self, as Narcissus this did at the clear waters, we cannot die and subsist in the real. In Hamilton's version of the myth, Narcissus come to realization. He says, now I know what others have suffered from me, but I burn with love of my own self, and yet how I can reach that loveliness mirrored in the water. But I cannot leave it, only death can set me free. If we reverse the mirror, 
we find what appears to be the reflection to be the actual reality whose reflection we are. In both sides, pure lordship and pure servanthood regarding each other with the eyes of the lover beloved. Only death in the beloved can set us free and let the servant subsist in his lord, since, as Hussein in al-Masur says, the essence of love is that you stand with your beloved stripped of your attributes. Or as Sadi said, according to Sulami, love between two is not sound until the one says to the other, Oh, I... From the, from the book uh, Kashf al-Ma'ana uh, on the names of God um, translation done in, in collaboration with our friend Cecilia Twinch the constantly loving one first relationship in this paragraph he would express what we need how we relate to this particular name he says you are in need of him, may he be exalted, so that he allows you to achieve the consolidation of constant love. What? For uh, constant love for him, an affectionate love for he whom he, God, has ordered you to love in a friendly way, fixing love for him in your soul. Then second paragraph is uh, connected to the idea of realization, tahakkuk. Affectionate love, wad, consists in the actual manifestation of love, mahabba, from which it originates, and its inconstancy in that love. So it's manifestation of love and constancy in that love. The Quranic verse says, Have we not made supports out of the mountains? These uh, sticks, sticks or stakes? Sticks, I guess, which serve as supports for a tent, are called either watad, autad, or wad, as in, in autad, as in the Quranic verse, synonymous of wad. So the term wad means firmness and constancy. Therefore, the lover, al-Muhib, is the one whose love is free and pure and is devoted to the will of the beloved while the loving one, al-Wadud, is the one whose love is constant. Adoption, tahalluk. If the love of Allah, may he be glorified and exalted, and the love of the one whom he has ordered you to love, prevail in the heart of the servant in every state, which may arise unexpectedly from the beloved, whether it is agreeable to him or not, then that servant is called loving. There, is, uh, there are a couple of beautiful poems uh, that says a lot and are a resume of Ibn Arabi's thought about love. One of them appears in Futuhat and says, From love we arise, with love we are created. Towards love we move, to love we are devoted. There is another poem uh, I am remembering and I reflect a lot on those verses. And I guess you already might know, since uh, 
James Morris, for example, translated them in, in some article. They say, let me, let me say in Arabic before. إذا تجلى حبيبي بأي عين أراه بعينه لا بعيني فما يراه سواه which may be translated as when my beloved appears with which eye do I see him with his eye not with my eye since none sees him but himself the subtlety of this verse is that ein as you well know also means entity so with which entity do I see him that's the tricky thing now, now I will read, without a stop nor commentary, I will read the whole section from Futuhat you have in the, in the handwriting of the Sheikh. And uh, then I will include some, some further commentaries. The presence of the constant in love, what? The name Al-Wadud. In the name of God, the all-compassionate and most merciful. Of what does faithful love consist? To maintain constancy and persist even in that state when disunion agitates and shakes it. When in the face the signs are shown, the abode unites us with him in a solitary riverbed. Riverbed, yes. And a land adorned with flowers and plants. If seen upon his pedestal, the land's flowers are the sons and daughters. The clarity of daylight protects them in the face of fear. It keeps them safe. Only the arrival of the darkness of night plunges them in fear. <clears throat> he who finds himself in, the, in this presence is named Abdel Wadud, the servant of the one who is constant in love. God, maybe he exalted, has said concerning those who share this, present, this presence that he loves them and they love him. And he has also said, follow me, meaning the prophet, and God will love you. Also in the well-known and reliable hadith concerning supererogatory works, God shows that when he loves his servant, God himself is his servant's hearing, sight, hand and foot. Thus, his faculties become permanent and immutable for the beloved servant so that, although he might be blind and deaf in the ordinary physical plane, the original quality subsists through the veil of apparent total blindness, muteness or deafness. Therefore, he, Al-Wadud, is the one who gives permanent permanence to love insofar as love is loving constancy. Denominations of the Four Conditions of Love This attribute of love has four conditions which each correspond to a name by which it is known. These four conditions are called Hawa, Wad, Hub, and Aishq. The first, which in the descent of this attribute overcomes the heart, is denominated Hawa, sudden desire, or amorous inclination, in the sense of the expression which indicates the descent of a star. So it's really to fall in love. Then comes the condition called Wad, the constant or persistent faithfulness in love. Next comes original love, 
hope, which is pure love, in which the lover has no will of his own and conforms without reservation to the will of the beloved. Then is the soul named Aishq, blinding and captivating love, binding passion, that consists of love wrapped around the heart of the lover, al-iltifaf bil-qalb. This term derives from the word ashaka, climbing, thorned convulvulus, or bindwit, bindwit, that uh, twisting in a, in a spiral wraps around the grave wine and other similar plants. In this way, blinding love wraps around the heart of the lover, blinding him so that he can see no one other than his beloved. Concerning the love of the Creator for his creation. How would the artisan not love his own work? We are undoubtedly his work, for he has created us, and he has created us, our sustenance, and all that is good for us. How then could he not love us? God revealed to one of his prophets these words, Son of Adam, for you I have created all things, and I have created you for me. Do not disperse what I have created for myself in what I have created for you. Son of Adam, in my duty towards you I am the lover. Love me then by reason of my right over you. The work itself shows the knowledge that the maker has deposited in it, his capacity of execution, his sense of beauty, his own greatness, and his sublimity. If his work par excellence, the human being, did not manifest his knowledge, then to whom, or in whom, or for whom would it become manifest? So then, we are as necessary as his love for us, such that his love is for us, and we are for his love. That has the prophet said, God bless him and give him peace. In his prayer in praise of his Lord, that we are through him, and to him we belong. This is the presence of mutual attachment and of permanence. The erogenesis or loving origin of the cosmos. Without this first original love, the constancy of love would not be known. And were it not for indigence, the generous would not be adored. We are through him, and to him we belong. He is the foundation of my constancy. If God wants an entity to exist, having desired that entity for itself, all resistance fades away. He said to us, Be, and we become without delay, for such a disposition towards existence is the attribute of all that is engendered. So the essence of original love is itself the essence of what comes from it, whose being whose being the, the constancy of love outwardly manifests and determines. Therefore, Al-Wadud loves incessantly and remains constant in his love, so that he continually gives existence to that which corresponds to us and every day is concerned with a new task. And the name Al-Wadud has no other significance than this. Whether in verbal language or in the tacit language of the of condition, of the state, is an al-hal, 
We incessantly tell him, do this, do that, and he, may he be exalted, does not stop acting in answer to our request. In fact, we say to him, do, by means of his own action in us. The best of all possible worlds. You may think that this way of acting is due to the divine ruse, Makr, but God is far above such an attribution, for it does not belong to him, considering his, his absolute divinity, but is rather the prerogative ruling property of his name Al-Wadud, since he is the one who covers Al-Ghafur, the constant in his love, Al-Wadud, Lord, Lord of the throne, the glorious. He sits on this throne by virtue of his name, the All-Compassionate, and the All-Compassionate, Ar-Rahman, only actualized his compassion in the effusive passion of the lover, who has the yearning to find his beloved, but whom he is the only able to find by means of his attribute, which is the primordial and limited generosity, due to which the compassionate grants him existence in the most perfect way. Had there been a possibility of an existence more perfect than the one granted, he would not have been stingy in depriving the lover of it. As Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali has observed in this respect, if there had been such a perfection and God had kept it to himself and impeded the possibility of a greater perfection, this would imply both a lack of generosity in contradiction to his superlative generosity and an incapacity contrary to his unlimited power, which would be inconceivable. Those who love God are the eye pupils of the cosmos. <clears throat> God has informed us that he, may he be exalted, is the one who forgives and covers the constant in his love, that's from Quran, whose love, Mahabba, persists in his concealment, since he, may he be glorified and exalted, sees us in his concealment, even though we do not see him. And on seeing us, sees his beloved, the object of his love, and in this he delights and takes pleasure. The cosmos, in its integrity, is a single man. This one man is the beloved, I repeat, the cosmos <clears throat> in its integrity is a single man. This one man is the beloved. And all of the individuals of the cosmos are the members or organs of this macrocosmic man. The beloved is not characterized by the love of the person he is loved by, for such a love does not convert him into a lover, since it only confers the passive condition of the beloved. But to him whom God has granted to love him with the same kind of love which God has towards him, he has granted testimonial vision, shuhud, and has blessed him with the capacity to contemplate God in the images of things. Those who love God occupy the same position 
in relation to the cosmos as the pupil to the eye. Even though man was provided with many organs, he contemplates and sees exclusively through use of his eyes. Therefore, the eyes occupy in him a position analogous to that which lovers occupy in the cosmos. God grants testimonial vision to those who love him when he knows they love him, which for him is direct knowledge or knowledge of taste. His action with those who love him is his action with himself, and this is witnessing, witnessing, and this is witnessing the action in the state of existence, which is a beloved for the beloved. According to a Quranic verse, God created the jinn and human beings to adore him, so that he created his creation. <clears throat> especially in order to love him, actualizing love for him. For only a lover can love him and bow down to him. Apart from human beings, everything glorifies God with its own praise, since nothing else can contemplate him or, in consequence, love him. To my knowledge, God does not reveal himself in the presence of his name Al-Jamil to any the beautiful, to any of his creatures except to human beings and in human beings exclusively. For this reason, the human being does not become annihilated or lose himself in his love for God in his totality, but only becomes annihilated in his particular Lord or whoever may be the place of manifestation of his Lord. The eyes of the cosmos are therefore its lovers, whatever the apparent object of their love might be, given that all of the creating beings are places of manifestation, literally the wedding beds or seats of honor, manasat, of the revelation of the truth, tajallil haq. Therefore, the love of all created beings is constant. They are the faithful in love, and he is the one who constantly loves and it's loved. But this reality, by virtue of the relationship between God and humankind, al-haq wal-khalq, is veiled by the curtain that separates the creation from the divine reality. For this reason, in the verse, in, in the Quranic verse that has been quoted, the name al-ghafur, the one who covers, which also means the forgiver, the forgiving one, appears with the name al-wadud, the one who constantly loves and is loved, in reference to this protective curtain. This is the veil, this is the curtain that is not only veiling us, is not a, this, this veiling is not a disgrace, but is also a protection and is a mercy. According to this, when it is said that Christ loved Leila, the name Leila refers to the theophanic place, and the name, uh, sorry, and the same is true when it is said that Bish loved Hind, Kuthai loved Asa, Indurai loved Lufna, Tauba loved Alahyalia, or that Jamil loved Buthaina. One might, might probably translate uh, something about Romeo and, and, and whatever. Maybe we, we had to use uh, names of English tradition here. All of these are bridal chambers, manasat, of the self-disclosure of the truth, 
which for the lovers is manifested in the beloved. So all these places of manifestation are bridal chambers. Ultimately, only God is loved. It is possible for lovers not to know the name of the one they love. It may happen that someone sees another person and falls in love with him without knowing who he is or his name, his lineage or where he lives. By its own essence, love drives him to investigate the name of the beloved and to find his dwelling so that he begins to frequent it. When the beloved is absent, the lover has knowledge of him through his name and his relationships and asks for him when he cannot see him and has no opportunity to contemplate him. Thus is our love for Allah, may he be exalted. We love him in his epiphanies and in this particular name, which is Leila or Lubna or whoever it may be, without having consciousness that it is the same divine reality, Ain al-Haq, that we love. In this case, we love the name, for example, Leila, and we do not know her real essence, which is the truth. In relation to the created, as we have already seen, one might know and love the entity, possibly without knowing its name, but real love refuses to accept this and is only content with the knowledge of the name, that is to say, the beloved. Among us are those who already know him in this world and those who do not know him until they die whilst loving something in particular. So, at the removal of the veil, al Rita, it is revealed to them that in reality they did not love any other than Allah, but they were veiled by the name of the creature, in the same way that the servant of the creature here is the one who adores the creature without knowing that ultimately, in a manner unknown to him, he only adores God. Thus, the object of his adoration might be called with the names of the goddesses, Mana Alusa or Allat, but when he dies and the veil is removed, he knows with certainty that he did not adore any other than God and understands the meaning of the word of God who said, your Lord has decreed, that is to say, has resolved, that you only adore him. Likewise, if the idolater does not believe that divinity is within the idol in a certain way, then he will not adore it. It also may occur as a result of the veil that covers reality, according to the divine word Al-Ghafur Al-Wadud, that the idolater does not recognize him in the idols, although they are nothing but his names. For this reason, in the verse 1333, the truly adored one, Abu Hakiti, said in the same situation when the polytheists ascribed their adoration to epiphanic places and to the bridal chambers which he has revealed himself, in which he has revealed himself. Quran. Say, name them, since on naming them they would know them, and on knowing them they would distinguish between Allah and whoever they name, as the receptacle of his epiphany is distinguished from the one who is manifested in it. 
in such a way that establishing the adequate distinction, we say that the second is the place of manifestation of the first. The unity of love, a unique essence. <clears throat> Such is the situation if you understand it well. If you are in him, then you are you. In truth, you are the bridal chamber where the truth reveals himself. But you are not when you are. You conquered the one you loved so much, and thus, since you knew the one you adored, now you know he is neither Leila nor Lubna, but rather he whom you well know. If from yourself you see his love, then you can contemplate his being you. Sorry, then you can contemplate him being you. Since the lover only loves himself, as everything is you, everything is you. How marvelous is the Quran in establishing correspondences, correspondences between the divine names and the states. He, God, is the one who covers, Al-Ghafur, the constant in his love, Al-Wadud, the Lord of the throne, the glorious, who always does what he wants, Fa'alun Limayurid. Thus, he is the lover and the one who does, want, who does what he wants so that he is also the beloved one, since the beloved does what he wants with his lover. The lover obeys and, comp and complies, com complies with, thank you. The lover obeys and complies with all that his beloved requires of him with total conformity, since the lover is the one who is faithful in his love, that is to say, the one who is constant in the requirements and conditions that the actualization of love requires. In fact, the essence of both the lover and the beloved is unique as reflected in the aforementioned passage in the Quran in which the constant in love, wadud, attribute of the lover, is also the one who does what he wants, attribute of the beloved. Consider then how marvelous and subtle is this divine suggestion and say, my Lord, increase me in knowledge. And God says the truth and indicates the way. Now, <clears throat> this was the sixth, and let me conclude with some reflections on this beautiful term, technical term, manasat. Manasa or minasa. Same root, uh, nun, sat, sat, as in nas, text. Having con uh, so the lexical interreference in the root of the term manasa. Having concluded the section about Al-Wadud, I will now briefly analyze the implications and lexical interreferences of the term Manasseh, which the author has employed repeatedly in the text. This commentary may serve also as an example of the expressive possibilities of the text and of the technical nature of this ocean of meaning through which the interpreter dives. Derived, derived from the verb Nassa, which means to elevate, to show, with preposition illa to attribute, to indicate, to fix, with ala to make the bride sit in her seat of honor, to order. Manasa means the bridal chamber, wedding bed, seat of honor, podium, throne. 
the term thus designates a place of elevation and manifestation. Ibn Arabi uses it in an analogous sense to the term mathar, place of manifestation, zuhur, or mashla, the support of revelation, stajalli. However, the term manasa alludes to the image of the beloved with her face covered and elevated in her seat of honor during the public ceremony, who after the wedding celebration will take off the veil in her bridal chamber as a, new, a newlywed. Hence, his specificity and poetical dimension in the epithalamic amorous context. Due to this and to an affinity with the Song of Songs and the spiritual song of Juan de la Cruz, I have preferred to keep, when possible, this marital imagery. In Arabic, the word arus, which Ibn Arabi uses in, order, in other texts to mean this same marital relationship, is ambiguous somehow and might refer to the groom as well as the bride. This fact allows allow, sorry, that both the lover and the beloved can occupy in the metaphor the position of wife or husband. Let's remember that ultimately, in the Akbarian doctrine of love, God himself is the lover and the beloved. For example, in one of his Mafarid single independent verses, Ibn Arabi says, to my young soul, I was wed, and I was my husband while I was my wife. Con mi propia alma yo me desposé, y era mi marido siendo mi mujer. Hence, Manasa can mean a place of elevation and manifestation, as well as a wedding chamber where the newlyweds meet. He will also we will also see that the term can also mean the creative recitation of the text in which activity and receptivity coincide. As already mentioned, in one of its meanings, nasa signifies with a preposition ila to determine, to fix in writing. And from, the, and from there, nas come to, comes to signify text. Hence, the place of elevation in which the beloved is manifested, manasa, could also be the place of the revelation of the text. This revealed text would be, in this sense, the wedding chamber in which the beloved, essence and meaning, unveils herself to the lover, or else the inspired recitation of the text in the state of theophanic prayer, when it is God himself who recites his own word. Thus, the term Manasa allusively designates the Quran as a theophany and the bridal chamber of lover and beloved, uniting in the reading, sorry, and the bridal chamber of lover and beloved united in the reading of the revealed text. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.